0: Believe us, so do what you do. Do what you do. Why should we waste time with those
1: who won't listen? But here is a clue. Here is a clue. War, war, war. (laughs) Folks, welcome inside the Paris Sea Palace, high above 3773's Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show. Company on Power Talk, please go to our website, powertalk.live, download our free app, and stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, The Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, The Jake Feinberg Show. Can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today, and it, super hyped up today because I got a chance to further explore the. The regionalism of music in this country before full interconnection, and what that really means is that cats are able to come together in an organic fashion, get discovered, and wind up becoming uh, units on the bandstand for many, many years. And what happens then is that when you get on the bandstand for many, many years in the same group, all of a sudden the vocabulary of music is expanded and extended. And music is the language of the soul, and rhythm is love, and that is what my show is about. And uh, today we got a chance to uh, talk to a, a decorated guitarist, a guy who made it up on his own. There were no jazz curriculums. you could throw away the textbooks. he played his own style in the band known as war. He's still doing it today. Howard Scott, welcome to the Jake Feinberg uh, show.:
2: I'd uh, say good morning and to all your listeners. Uh, I just start off like we have the answer to all of your angles. Well, let's let's get into that and talk a few answers today. How are you doing, everybody?
1: Hey, dude, we're we're doing great. People are fired up. Um, I, I mean, if you have any answers for us, you can drop it on us now. If now we can just, I'm sure it'll <laughs> well, re- reveal itself. That
2: that, that that whole thing right there came from uh, uh, Papa D. Allen when uh, I think that was on the first war album, right? Yeah, Papa D. Allen came up with that whole saying there.
1: You know why is that the uh, the lonely uh, puppy dog album That's my favorite album To me like that is the most heavily percussive album And I, I kind of wanted to start by asking you You know in I'm 39 years old And you know I taught history for a while And you, you get into the history books And, and it, it's like civilization starts uh, With the Greeks and the Romans But yeah. it started in the motherland and it started in Africa and the first universities were in Africa and all the instruments came from Africa. And I wanted you to talk about um, your first experience in the motherland and ultimately the language of the drum because for cats that don't know, that tune was called War Drums, and you're playing everyone's playing percussion on it. And the M1 DC band everybody played opened up Herbie's band. They all played percussion for twenty minutes. And I know you guys were doing that stuff because you know the power and the language of the drum. So just riff on that if you would.
2: Yeah, well, that right there, when, when we first started this whole um, um, venture with doing war, yeah, we all played percussion because that's what we um, you know grew up doing. But when we were with uh, um, Eric Burden, and Eric Burden always you talk about uh, free-form jazz. That's what we used to get on stage and jam for like 20, 30 minutes with, with no... You know, mission, no, no mission in, in, in line, just start jamming. And so when we did that whole war thing right there, when Papa D was a percussionist and we all came in, and we just started, you know, just from, from the heart, just start with this whole jamming thing. And it was just a fun thing to do. And my my connection to the motherland would have to be from my father and my mother and father because they raised me that way. So that's what that is.
1: Well, let's talk about it. What did they expose you to? I mean, was it... What- oh, I mean was it the Folkways Records was it I mean was it beyond that I mean I would really what I'm trying to get at is that uh, the music came out of the communities and you talk to cats you know they if if, the parents that were acutely aware of the motherland and the significance of it uh, they had many different ways of exposing their children to that and so I just want you know maybe more to the point. If you if you really had a transcendent experience in your youth, uh, playing or experiencing percussion, uh, whether you ever uh, co- co- uh, cross paths with the original masters like Babatunde Tunde Olatunji or Pop, you know. I mean, what I'm getting at is the 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 transcendent metaphysical qualities of the drum.
2: Yeah, well, that that right there would have to be for my heartbeat actually, but no. Uh, my 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 father uh, was an excellent folk blues guitarist. He was born in 1900. And from from the time he grew up, he 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 worked the rails in uh, uh, this country, and he played uh, guitar and he sang the blues and that whole thing where he came from had to come from his grandfather's, his you know great grandfather, but the the soul of that music was he he played blues and he taught me. The, how to play the blues and the history of the blues. And that's, that, that, that right there, that music is, uh, um, comes from the motherland too because the blues came over, like B.B. King said, blues came over on a ship. But I grew up in Southern California when I was 15, 16 years old playing in some of the worst and the best blues clubs in Los Angeles and San Pedro, California. So I grew up learning how to play this whole transitional blues thing from some of the cats that came up. You know, like I was 15, these guys are in their 40s and 50s, and they've been out there playing blues for years. So I, I I was good enough that I was able to play in the clubs in Los Angeles, California. San Pedro, actually. And I learned how to play from some of the best, man. My my cousin, Jack Nelson Jr., came to uh, me from San San Antonio, Texas. He had a Gibson Les Paul Jr. guitar. He taught myself. Howard Scott and my nephew, B.B. Dickerson, both how to play bass guitar at the same time. And from that point on, man, you know, we can go into, like, how I my high school days, how we got into the war days, but I started playing blues guitar out in uh, San Pedro, California, at days of 15.
1: Now, this is fascinating because uh, I, I going back to your dad, uh, I mean, what I love when I talk to the, the old school jazzers. Uh, you know, cats that might have been going to Juilliard in the mid '60s, there was no jazz curriculum. You were. Lear- I, I really would love you to talk about the feel, uh, the time feel, like you talked about your heartbeat, and I think that's something we need to explore more too. But the idea of like your dad's own time feel uh, and how his individual expression rubbed off on you in your own playing, because you know, we're there are books. I don't know if there's a Howard Scott book but there's books Pat Martino Kenny Burrell all these guys I've interviewed multiple times and there's so much material out there today there's so much stuff to copy that cats have a really hard time finding their own individual voice and that was not the situation with Howard Scott so how did your dad help you feel the music and develop your own style
2: Uh, I, I, I developed it was I would sit back and watch him and listen to him when I was maybe five or six years old and he would sit back and tune up that guitar and start playing things that, you know, about, you know, life on the road and the railroad songs and stuff. And it always fascinated me that, you know, just to hear that, the sound of that guitar and hear those stories. So when I got the opportunity to, like, you know, I, I think when, when, at an early age I, was, uh, I had these rhythms in me and I could, like, write these words and these stories. Uh, so that, I, that, that part of me developed really young. So uh, yeah, I, I started playing guitar at an early age, and the, the, I think the stories and the rhythms that I learned from him, uh, you know, came into my rhythm and the rhythm. See, when I played bass guitar, and I trans went over to like uh, a lead guitar, I still had the, the 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 philosophy of a bass guitarist in my head when I started playing guitar. So I had rhythm and 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 bass lines in my guitar guitar lines.
1: I did, yeah, but that, but, but, what kind of bass were you, were you, were you playing, like a, a Fender bass uh, guitar? Because oh, yeah. this my, is
2: my father. Yeah, my father taught me. He, he, he took me down to the Fender factory <laughs> in in uh, Fullerton, California, and I got my first bass guitar. And and since that, I had to go to Fuller, uh, to Fullerton to get it because I wanted it to be a custom color. Everybody else had that sunburst guitar. I wanted mine to be choral. So we had to go order that bad boy. So when I was in in high school, I had the finest uh, Fender bass, the finest uh, Fender amplifier. So when I was equipped to play with these guys, because I had the good equipment, first of all, secondly, I could play. And my father was there with me. When I would go to the clubs, oh, yeah, I was underage, man. He'd take me to these joints. And he was
1: down there in the back and watch. Um, talking to Howard Scott here on the Jake Feinberg Show, already having a ball. I, I, I mean, um, but the bass instrument at that time was not – we were not into this phase of, like, uh, it being used as a um, individual voice within the music. That came later. No. But I yeah. want you to talk to peeps around the world that are listening and that are going to hear this later on for years. How, As a bass player, how do you make the notes round?
2: What do you mean, to make the notes round?
1: A bass player's job is to make the notes round and full.
2: Oh, yeah. I, you know, like I said, when, like when I started doing that, I was like 15 years old. Now, the, the thing about the bass is, uh, I learned how to play the bass. I love to play those, those notes that you're talking about. You know, the notes of the bass and the notes of the the, the beat from the drum have to go together to make things like a in a group work. And I I, I think uh, my point was black pan bass and to make the notes round was that the notes were so soulful and it carried the band. So you had to play these soulful fat notes, as you would say, <laughs> to keep things going.
1: Was it also because it was not amplified? I mean, you had like, you know, Oh,
2: it's amplified. No, I had, I had a Fender amplified, it wasn't I? I wasn't paying stand up bass.
1: No, but there weren't mics on every piece of equipment on the stage, so you your ears grew a lot. It's what I'm trying to say is your ears were huge. Your ears oh, yeah, were, No, no, no. Yeah. And so that's what I'm no. getting is the, is this is so the roundness the roundness came from um, just keep riffing on that. I mean, how how did that Lend its the soulfulness lent itself to the to the roundness of the notes?
2: Uh, to me it did. It came natural for me because when I grew up and what I was hearing was that sound. I grew up with that sound in me. So if it transitioned from somewhere else, that was just something I grew up with. You know, that was just a part of me and part of my, my playing.
1: Um but then eventually you did you play the so you played the bass were you playing the bass with Deacon and, and, and Harold, uh
2: Oh hmm. no no see, see see when when I first started man I I, I was in uh, junior high school and high school when I first started and myself B.B. B. Dickerson and myself we were but you know he's my nephew we we both learned how to play bass together but we could never play in the same band together because you couldn't put two bass Double players Double bass in the same players
1: band. That, right except Coltrane yeah. Coltrane Coltrane put huh? that. Coltrane at towards the end of his life had two upright bass players, but yeah, yeah well,
2: that, that, <laughs> no, he was out there, man, because that's spacey to me. I know. But if if, if, if <laughs> B. B., there was no way you're gonna put two bass players, so I, I I I chose to go over to play guitar, so me and BB could play together, and in our first band, the creators, I'm gonna tell you, finest bass player ever, even in, in, in today's standards, with BB Dickerson, because he was the most underrated and fully executional bass player that could play everything and i just watch him play and he was he, he he was a better bass player than me because he could play all those notes and stuff and sing at the same time wow it wouldn't miss a lick Wow! and i see a whole lot of guys man that 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 are playing uh instruments today that can't do that but um you mentioned deacon yeah and harold i met harold brown when i was playing in a, a, a night club down in san pedro and i was playing bass then i was playing bass when i met harold on guitar
1: I really he want to talk John. about I, – I, this is so important for history. I mean, you, so Harold Harold was – can you talk about the, the – first of all, I also want to be clear. You were – did you – San Pedro, you were playing those clubs, but were you down at, like, Memory Lane in South Central? Were you going to those clubs as well? Were they, like, in uh, South Central?
2: up uh, as far as I went to the, some of the clubs in Central, South Central, but I, I mainly played the clubs and then because, look, when, when I'm 15, 16 years old, I played I played clubs in Los Angeles. And, dude, every, the, L.A., from the time we were coming up, had so many nightclubs. There was so much music out there because the, all the Houston, all the cats from Houston and Texas had m- migrated to L.A., because of the fact that the, you know the music business in Texas wasn't as growing and LA had this whole open scene of music it was like the the, the whole industry was in LA so the cats came out to, to the west coast to, to, to work they needed to work so that was happening in lot. that was the whole music scene out there
1: well there was a I mean how quickly did you were born in California you didn't come from Texas though. I
2: was born in San Pedro, California.
1: Exactly. So yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, the, the Crusaders. I've interviewed all those cats except Stick Hooper. They, they grew up in the wards, and then, but then they came out to, to Southern California because it was just that much more open. And obviously, there was a monster uh, music scene out there. Um, but you know, I got to go back to this. Were you, were you, a Beatnik? Were you were you a beatnik? Because Lester Lester Chambers was, I mean, Lester Chambers used to show up on the beach. He was eating uh, Owsley's acid and playing uh, brush bars on cars, uh, playing percussion. He was getting he was. No, a,
2: not me, man. Uh, <laughs> my, my parents wouldn't let me be a beatnik. Shit, I didn't even know what a beatnik was. I might have been. I wasn't. I wasn't a shelter kid. I was out there. But as far as music goes, man, I was exposed to. Some of the best music and some of the best clubs in the, in, in the world. I said all, all, all the music industry was in Southern California at that time, and, and like I see all, of, all, of, all the big blues players had, had migrated to LA, so they needed to work, and I was there to help them.
1: So who? who now, were, I'm
2: not being a beatnik. <laughs> yeah, a no, beat. it just
1: was fascinating to me. You know, Chambers Brothers. You know, you had uh, you know, uh, Bucktooth Grills, and and people were going down to these to the beaches and you know they and they were playing a lot of percussion but who were some of the who were some of the of the blues cats? I mean was it I mean were you playing behind like uh Lowell, who was who were you who were you backing up?
2: Low Folsom, he's getting ready to say.
1: That's right.
2: Low Folsom, sure enough. Uh, uh, uh Johnny
1: Guitar Watson. Charles.
2: No, no my man watching believe me, when when I watch it came up, they was they were comparing me to Watson. He was like older than me. And they say here's Watson. I go in the club and say here's Watson right here. And I said, who's Watson man. I didn't know Johnny guitar Watson since a <laughs> heavy player man. That time, I was just there. And they say here's, here's Watson. I Johnny Watson do that stuff, boy. But he did one of my songs. He, he did one of my songs later on.
1: What song did he cover that you did?
2: He covered. Uh, hang on a second. He covered one of my war songs called Baby Face.
1: That is fantastic because that dude um, was way. I mean, were you hip to his stuff that he was doing, uh, Hot Little Mama and those tunes in, in the 50s that he was doing?
2: No, I wasn't because, like I said, I, when, when, he, when, we, when he was coming up, he was older than me. He was a man, when I, you know, he was a grown man when I was coming up. And he was playing in there. He, he even came to Los Angeles from Texas. Exactly. He, yeah, he came out there with the whole migration and. I played with guys that played with Bobby Bland. You know, the uh, the, the Bobby Bland players, all those guys came from Texas. And know, I played behind them out there.
1: What did you learn about the idea of um, just supporting the tune? I mean, in today's world, there's not as much bandstand opportunities for younger cats, so they have a tendency to have to play and play very busy, and it's look at me, look at me, look at me. But I've talked to David T. Walker and all these other cats, and it was really about supporting... The tune And Finding a way to get your voice in there And I'm just curious about That original bandstand experience I mean Were you stretching I mean actually Johnny Guitar was actually playing Was stretching out a lot of his songs And playing instrumental tunes And he had a, he had a lot of attitude Which one were yeah. Were you Were you more of a, Were you Were you saying a lot Or were you just kind of You know Finding your The space
2: I was During those days I was finding my space And you got there was a group out in, in Los Angeles called the Ken Folks.
1: That's David T. Walker.
2: Yeah, tell me about it. The we Chitlin'
1: circuit. You were, uh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, we would go up and play head to head with the kin Folks, and they were a little older than us. The, the, Ken, the We'd look at them and say, "Boy, these dudes are awesome, man." You know, <laughs> the kin Folks. It was, it was the lead singer of the kin Folks, name Bud Buzz Cooper, David T. Walker. And I often wonder what happened to those dudes. But they were playing in a place called the California Club and Mo's Swing Club out there. And we'd go out there and hit and jump in. And we they'd be the stage. We'd go in there and sit there. Man, we were fearless band. Ken folks was pretty rough guys. David T. Walker, man, he was a guitarist.
1: Now, this was the creators that you were. The creators
2: that was a high, that was a high school band before we got into uh, the night shift, which we had with uh, uh, Eric Deacon
1: Jones. How did? Okay, so I want to talk about this. Well, first of all, okay, we have a game on this program called Name That Voice. I want you to listen to this voice, uh, listen to the content, and then we'll uh, – this ties into what we're talking about. So take a listen, we'll come back.
3: Made a life living like that. So to answer your question is that I think we all were like misfits in a sense. We all, we all were like true artists that love what we do. You know, if you see a guitar player – here's an interesting point if you see a, if, if you know uh-huh. if you play guitar and you, and you really well you can look at another guitar player where the fingering is and a lot of times you can say oh he's playing a C chord or an A minor chord or whatever you know you can tell guys like Howard Scott for example on guitar he'll play your C chord but his fingering is not going to be the cookie cut where the, the C note and the E note <laughs> and the G note to make a C chord is going to be right there where you see in the book and all that. So right then and there, when he plays the C chord, he's gonna
2: it's gonna be a little really bit
3: is. different sound, the tempo and everything on that guitar than just this really squeaky clean cookie cut thing. And if you if you take that scenario with all of us, not just how we play, but what how we do it and all that, there is a chemistry that is as uh, that is as much of uh, like take a tune like Low Rider. Why is it why is it when a lowrider is such a popular tune it's become like a tequila, you know, it's become it's become a standard, if you will, huge. I Absolutely. Mean, everybody uses mm-hmm. low rider commercials, movies, whatever. It'd be a lot cheaper for them if they if they just did a, a license, a sync license with the publishing company and and re recorded lowrider. That's a lot cheaper than, than getting a license publishing and still have to pay also to use the master. <laughs> Why is that? Because I think the sound that we have, the arrangement is as much of the composition as the composition itself.
1: All right, all right, Mr. Scott, who is that?
2: I have no clue. That sounds like Lee Oscar to me, but I have no clue yeah, you, whether you, that was Lee Oscar or not. Yeah, is yeah it, you. Heard, knew, yeah,
1: that, huh? I've been I've been on this trip for. Um,
2: I knew that was Lee Oscar when he first opened his mouth. I mean, been playing with him forever.
1: <laughs> April. That was uh, uh. I've been on this trip for six years, Howard. Uh, that was April twenty two thousand fourteen, and he he name dropped Howard <clears throat> Howard Scott. And I want so I want to go back to this idea of individuality. You didn't play the C chord the way it was supposed to be played. That's attitude. That's headstrong yeah. attitude. All right. So when did you start to? create your own individual sound like on the with the creators or with the I, I, want, I really want you to talk about this because every every David T Walker uh, uh, every every guitar player that I've interviewed you pretty much know when you hear who they you can tell who they are and I can yeah. tell who you are so why don't you talk a little bit about your evolution as far as your own style because you didn't play it like the cookie cutter book
2: no I didn't and, and I did I took guitar lessons which is like fine you know, I should go to get my guitar and jump on the bus in Compton, California, and people would laugh at me because I'm rolling I would see, out with see what this big amplifier on the bus. And I would go take guitar lessons, and I learned, I said, This is fine, you know, I learned how to play. But to my own style of playing came from like rhythm and, and not playing the C chord like Lee Oscar would say. I just started playing C chords, I I had to get a different sound. And I would take out a couple of notes and I would play. I would finger different. It would be a C chord, but it would it would sound totally different than a key C chord because it have some kind of like distorted notes in there, which I would put in. I made my style because my guitar styles, playing guitars, guitar style and playing chords and rhythm, are totally different than anybody else's. That would be my style of playing guitar, and it was just kind of something that I wasn't you know conscious of doing. I don't go out there and say this. I'm trying to change myself to be different than everybody else. It was just something that came with
1: me. It's fascinating, and and you would say that even though you, it was a subconscious thing, but when you would see cats like Johnny Guitar, uh, Watson, you would see that they weren't doing it by the book either. Is that I mean, could you say that there were were peeps that you were? Oh yeah. Uh, that when you saw them, you said, "Well, I'm not going to play like them or sound like them, but I like the fact that they are doing it I, different."
2: I think that when I would try to sound like them, I would try to sound like them, but I would interpret it different than them. And if they would play the C note, I'd play the C note minor. And you know, so it would be just my interpretation of what they were playing came out to be the style of, you know, that what came to Ben Howard Scott.
1: Um, so uh, in these early 60s period with, uh, well, how did you originally meet Harold Brown?
2: I'll tell you. Well, I met Harold Brown when we were playing in a club in San Pedro, California. And I was playing with my my, my, my nephew Jack Nelson and uh, my cousin Jack. Me, my cousin Jack and uh, we were waiting for a bass player to come in. I mean, to get the, a drummer to come in. I was playing bass in. And, and Harold Brown came in. His father brought him in, and my uh, uncle and my dad were there. So we had all these elderly, you know, grown-ups with us. <laughs> and he came in and we played the whole set and we was, were talking and he said well hey man me and him were both in high school he was in he was in 10th grade and I was in the 10th grade so we kind of made a connection and said, hey man listen why don't we started a band together so I think about two or three days after I met Harold Brown in that club he came up to my father's house and my mother's house and uh I was sitting on the porch waiting with a friend of mine named Joe Green, who was a bass player, and uh, we hit it off. We started a band from that point on called Creators. Was it all original? Our first band.
1: Were you yeah. doing, can you talk about the, I this is very, so you were, and you were playing, uh, BB was, you were playing bass in this band, right? Or were you playing guitar? Uh,
2: no, I played guitar in the Creators, yeah.
1: Okay, so in the Creators, can you talk about how big a palette of music that you were you doing jazz tunes? Were you stretching and doing modal tunes, or was it funk? Yeah. I mean, was it original stuff? I mean, because you were on this uh, Dory Records. Uh, this is. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I can't find any. Do you have these forty-five? I mean, what, what kind of music was this? this is Soul music? Uh, you know? Dory, you
2: remember Dory Records. Phil Spector was down there at, at, at uh, Gold Star Records when Dory was there. That Dory Records was out of uh, Gold Star Studios.
0: Exactly. Phil
2: Spector was down there. Uh, uh, Sonny and Cher were down there. Um the Beach Boys were down there at that that Ghost Star studio. So we were we were surrounded by um, greatness as you might say at at an early age. We were in high school, those cats were all, all there playing that music.
1: What kind? I, I, this is the other thing, is that with with Harold, uh what kind of I mean, was he the cat could you just talk about how he used the bass drum because what what what, you, what we have going on today? Since the drum machine has come in, a lot of times you can hear you can't hear music sounds like machine gun fire because a double bass drum is just pulsating four 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 four. The old school, the drummers from your generation and even before that, uh, they had a way of using the bass drum for rebound and also keeping time on the cymbals. And I just wanted you, I wanted you really to talk about you had your own internal rhythm. You you had these rhythms inside your head. You keep talking yeah. about that. Can you talk about Harold's drum, drumming style and, and how it lent itself to the groove and the danceable rhythms that you guys put on? How was he using the bass drum? How was he using the cymbals?
2: Okay, I, my, I have to t- take you back to our beginnings and, of the creators and what, what the creators did. We played in a, a nightclub called Jephtys. And if you played Jephtys' nightclub, you had to be on top of your game, because like I said, all the cats was out there playing, looking for jobs. These clubs right here were very popular. So we learned commercially how to play. We played James Brown. We we, 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 we took the whole James Brown show from the Apollo, live at the Apollo, had it down like almost a cover band. <laughs> we could have been James Brown's band we were that good. And, and our lead singer was uh, by name. His name is Johnny Hamilton. And Johnny Hamilton could sing the James Brown stuff, do the splits and dancing and stuff. So we started doing that, and and, and we learned at an early age that if you want to make it in this business, we can't be James Brown band forever. You have to be your own band. So when we went in, you talk about the stuff on Dory Records. Uh, we did. You, you 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 could go online and look up Johnny Hamilton and uh, little, little Johnny Hamilton. Oh how I love you. You could look that up. Then you, you, pop up the creators with Little Johnny Hamilton. Oh, I love you. Um, That's what love will do. Was a song that we wrote in the creators that ended up on awards. Uh, war, that first war uh, uh, CD. That's what love will do. That was crea- That was written by the creators, myself and Milton James, back in when we, when we were in El, El Paso, Texas.
1: How did wait, okay? So how did this is so? Well, listen, I just queued it up. So let's we got this little Johnny and the creators. Oh, how I love you. We got a taste of yeah. of early Howard Scott. Here we go. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I love you.
1: on the Jake Feinberg show brought to you by Abbott Taylor jewelers the stereo hospital the Jewish Community center of Southern Arizona and the Jewish Federation of Southern Arizona and we thank them for their support so we can play this mercurial soul music for Howard Scott I mean break that down man I mean that is really that's more that sounds like more like so uh, Motown than than uh, you know that <laughs>
2: I mean, I have to tell you, I have to tell you about now, now I have to tell you about this song here. You remember when, 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 that was that, was, that was, this was a high school band. And it wasn't so like a Motown sound. It was an LA sound coming up from a guy but it was in a band by the name of Fred Hughes. Hmm. Fred Hughes had a song called Ooh, baby I love you. Ooh, we baby I love you. He was in high we were in high school together. He was in the 12th grade, I was in the 10th grade. That record right there went to probably number three or four in the nation. He was in high school. So when he was in a band with us, he left. I mean, Dick Clark took him, and they he, he took him on tour and just left us out there without Fred Hughes. So when we took that song, uh, Johnny Hamilton and the creators and went up to, to, to Dory Records up there, Gold Star. I mean, uh, Doc Siegel was producing that, that record right there. So we had never had a producer like Doc Siegel. I'm telling you, these are high school guys now. We did that ooh baby, I mean that ooh baby, uh, oh how I love you, but with Johnny Hamilton, that was our creation right there. We thought we were gonna like hit this song, bam, (laughs) we'd be automatically on top. Right. Took us about fifteen more years after that. that But
1: but
2: that was a good start.
1: It was really, I mean, did you did you get on the? Were you on the Chitlin' Circuit, and what what was that like? What,
2: What Chitlin' Circuit, man? We grew up on the Chitlin' Circuit, man. We called that name on every wall in the chitlin well Creek.
1: but i mean okay, okay so so I, but i just want yeah. to i mean listen the there was a i mean uh charles sullivan uh up in the fillmore district it, the, the chitlin circuit was martinez hayward uh you know a, a whole bunch of stuff in northern california but i'm not and i know that the kinfolk they did all sorts of appalachia up and down the east coast but you got to tell me about the southern california chitlin circuit i mean where what, what kind of clubs were you going to
2: Oh man, we we played in some clubs. If you didn't have a cut on you when you went in, you'd have a cut on you when you came out. You know.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I mean, you, we we look when we played. We went to uh, there was a club in El Paso, Texas called Basin Street East. And here we are in in, in junior high, I mean, in high school. We took a ride from Los Angeles all the way to El Paso, Texas, to play a weekend at a, a club and in, in, called Basin Street. And we got to El Paso, Texas, and, you know, these, these club owners down there, boy, they had something else on their mind that we weren't even aware of when we came there. So they kind of tricked us into, like, you know, having this whole bill at the end of the weekend, say, well, okay, well, you guys owe us $900. Well, what? What? How could that be? Yeah, for, for hotel charges and, you know, going go to a hotel, and, you know, they put you in there and they just sign your name here, you get anything you want, some food and stuff wasn't that it was $900, whatever it was, we didn't have the money to pay that, because they, they said, well, okay, so now you're going to have to work it off. Wow. Two story. So they're going to they have to work it off. So we had to stay there in El Paso and work every night. Well, they had, they had a good band there, man. So they had, we had stayed in El Paso. They put us into, they put us into like a bungalows over in Juarez, Mexico. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, we in cool, Juarez, guys.
1: you said Juarez, Mexico.
2: Yeah, I love this because
1: you cause they there was not the black part of town for you to stay in. You couldn't even stay there. No,
2: they put us. They put us in that Juarez, Mexico, because it was cheaper than the black part of
0: town. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my! I mean, I've been to El Paso, so Juarez is right there, so it wasn't that big a trip. But that is still right,
2: well. Back back there in them days, you you could go. Across, it was like you would have come across the border every night. But it was it was cheaper. Look, man, to stay in the black part of town probably costs maybe $60 a week. And El Paso and Juarez probably cost $20 a week. So they knew what they were doing. They put us over there in Juarez, so we know. The, 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 really the cheapest part of Mexico we could stay in so we could just like work it off. And they, do, they what it did was it cultivated us made us a tougher band.
1: So you worked it off. And, I mean, again, uh, this Cat Hughes jettisoned out. Uh, I'm just still trying. Were you playing at that point? Were were you playing original Howard Scott tunes? Yes. Stuff that later yeah. showed up. Like, can you name a few tunes that I'm just curious about the kind of because Basin Street West that that's like I mean again labels have destroyed music in some ways. It's all music, but I mean I, that that to me speaks of like. You know that's a kind of like a a jazz thing, a cannonball. You know, were you doing cannonball tunes? No,
2: no. This this is this is a, a club in, in in El Paso. It was a blues club, wasn't it? You know, it was a blues club. It was Basin Street. East. It was it was out of uh, El Paso. They, uh, no, we weren't we weren't playing any jazz during those days. We had horn players, but we weren't playing jazz. We were playing funk. That's that funk thing that we started playing, developed into the music that came out to be war music. So that whole development phase. Came up from the creators. Creators were down in El Paso. Got it. Fred Hughes was in the creators band. We had two singers in the creators: it was Johnny Hamilton and Fred Hughes. Fred Hughes got the hit "Ooh, Baby, I Love You." And Dick Clark took him. So left us with Johnny Hamilton. So we did, we we said, "Okay, this is what we got. Let's go." We 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 took it. We took that across the country. Played Arizona. We played San Diego. We played up and down the coast but you know during those days we 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 were we were destined to be a uh, a a backup band and that's all we wanted to do is be a backup band
1: um you wanted to be accompanists in a backup band for could you exp- well, flesh that out
2: pretty much so, because we we had we had the James Brown show pat and so Johnny thought that he Johnny thought that he could be James Brown to be James Brown you know so you could be James Brown being James Brown, but James Brown is James Brown, you know. And if you want to be, you know, on your own, so, so we start doing doing the uh, the Watts riots. During, during the Watts riots, we had a, a, a song called "Burn, Baby, Burn," with the magnificent Montague. He was just mm-hmm. Jack in Los Angeles. We put that record out, "Burn, Baby, Burn." Oh, it was on the radio playing next year, next couple of weeks. The White Riot started The whole theme was The Riot was Burn Baby Burn Took that record Out of sight Don't you ever come up here With a record like Burn Baby Burn Help Burn Down Los Angeles That was you know That was our first try At uh, a record called Burn Baby Burn And that didn't make it But you know, we kept on trying We kept on Until you know we, we, we kept doing our own Original music Burn Baby Burn Was original
1: This is really fascinating Because there was no Musical term In the lexicon Known as funk when uh, the creators were going on. Uh, you, you might say, play a funky blues. I mean, funk really didn't become a word until, I'd say, war was fully off the ground in the, in the early 70s. So can you talk about this evolution? So they'd say, you know, play a funky blues, but there was no word, let's play some funk. But you were yeah. playing funk then. You guys were playing funk as high school cats before the word was ever existed. So I'm just curious... Perfect. Yeah. I just, how, I'll tell
2: you how that existed because when, when we, this is, like I said, this, this is something we grew up with. In the environment that we grew up with, there was a street in, 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 in Compton, California, called Compton Boulevard. On one side of Compton Boulevard was a black community. On the other side of Compton Boulevard was a Mexican community. We would cross these streets back and forth, you know, just playing of okay. other bands, and we start getting these different rhythms. You know, the Mexicans came up with what kind of rhythm. We came up with the kind of rhythm, and through that, man, we started interpreting this, this timing. Uh, they came in from like the Baptist church.
1: Oh, I love it! I re- this, you're, oh. you're getting going. You're getting going. Can you? So it was like a clave because they weren't playing mariachi music. I mean, that was like after. No, uh-uh. yeah. it was like ma- no. Uh-uh. These rhythms, what was the rhythm, what was, so keep going with these rhythms, the blending of these rhythms.
2: The rhythm, so, so a lot of rhythms came out of, of the, we were doing what we came from like, you know, listening to what we heard in church, you know. I will say what I heard in church, but, but the things that came from James Brown, the things that came from the Mexicano community. We start developing our own rhythms and like our own timing. And our own timing came in, we start playing these riffs and stuff and start playing, it's just it's locking into a riff. And playing until you can't play it no more until it got stupid. <laughs> and then from that right there came these things about, you know, putting lyrics to that to time that, uh, timing there. And from that time in there, we started doing Cisco Kitschka was a friend of mine. But, you know, before then, we had just, you know, when we looked at Eric Burden, Eric Burden had a, a need for a band. And the band that he needed. He really needed band. He, he, he came in and saw us playing one night. And was, as we were playing, as a night shift, we would back up at for Deacon Jones. Eric uh, got us because then, then we were able to, like, really get into playing that stuff. We kept developing our style.
1: Um, I, I want to just talk about the rag doll. Uh, did you play burlesque houses, by the way? You you playing strip clubs?
2: Oh, we did that, but no, that was that was back in Jeffy days. No, no, we played that, yeah, but we played them all. We played behind cats like Mantan Moreland.
1: Oh, I I need to hear about that. So I mean, what? But with, I mean, were the strippers calling out like Duke Ellington tunes? I mean, that's the word jazz was jazz originally. I mean, it used to no, go. To
0: the,
1: I mean, yeah, break that down. We, I mean, the broth. The, the,
0: we,
2: no, we would play. We would play behind. Uh, uh, sh- I guess we call them shake dancers, uh, strippers, and. You know, girls would come out with, you know, with snakes around them and shit, and I'd be, <laughs> get that shit away from me. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, we yeah, would play music behind those kind of people, and then on the same, this is like, I guess it's called burlesque shows. We would play behind cats like a, a Mantan Moreland and a, a, a Diamond Tooth Martin and all those guys. You know, they were the old school comedians. You know, Mantan Moreland? He was a... a and I, well, I forget he was, he was, he was with, uh, 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 uh not being crossed. One of those cats. Were you, were it. you anyway.
1: playing like behind like Red Fox and things like that? We were
2: playing clubs. The Red Fox are playing. You doggone right. Yes.
1: Oh, I love this dude. This is, that was a whole LA scene. Uh, did
2: you, Red, Red Fox and all these guys were, were they would all hang together. All those, you know, comedians like that. As a matter of fact, there was a, uh club in, 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 in Compton called Duto 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 and and, and and Red Fox was recorded by this club in Duto and he was on Duto records as you look at his early records
1: well, how do you spell Shectees What was that club that you play, you were talking about J
2: E F Jeff, T Y S Jeffties and, and it was, see, it was on that
1: Yeah go ahead
2: It was on Avalon Boulevard in El Segundo and and right there in, in Compton
1: you know, I, I part of me is like, I went to, I was thinking about our interview last night, and I, I know you're a guitar player, but I, I was, you know, so many guitar players actually were influenced or developed rhythm through, you know, piano or, or organ, but I was like, you know, I just feel like Howard, I mean, did you get a chance to to uh, see Coltrane play?
2: Man, listen, I never saw Coltrane, and I never was hip to Coltrane until I was like in a, United States Army when I was stationed in uh, Europe. Okay. And um, some of the guys would come in and, no, no, my sister sent me, uh, like, uh, John Coltrane, Lou Rawls, you know, so we could just some of the stuff like that. And we'd be sitting back in the in, 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 uh, room sometime, like, listening to the music and stuff, and they'd have the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and I'd throw in Coltrane. And we'd sit back there listening, everybody's meditating listening and stuff, and I'd open my eyes and the room would be empty. When Coltrane was playing, and the guy who came up to me said, Man, that Coltrane, that's an evil dude. (laughs) I said, shit, okay. Coltrane was playing these riffs and stuff, man. I was into that, man. You know, my first experience, Coltrane, he took me out there, man. I I was into that.
1: Why why, uh, people were meditating, and then ultimately they left the room. Was it like the modal stuff? I mean, was it like where he was just channeling, you know, the, the thesaurus of scales? Say, say again?
2: Pippin. They were smoking hashish and trippin. You know, they were just into that mode right there. The gold thing started playing. You're you, you, you coming from Sergeant Pepper's lonely heart club band to the Beatles. The Beatles were meant to the beat story. Um, he's giving me good vibration. Then he's throwing cold chain right behind that and he's playing my favorite thing. They thing right there. I'm back. I'm flying with it because it's where I was. Because was with me, they said cold chain suddenly. They jumped right off the ship and took off running. You know, cold chain was really too heavy for him. <laughs> <laughs> cold chain was heavy for a lot of people, man. He's still the standard in jazz right now, saxophone. The,
1: um, I also wanted to... Did you know Rick Holmes, the DJ? He, well no he was he was a kind of like a astrology guy he'd riff on astrology yeah. and he'd bring you into the store and talk i he didn't he'd invite cats in and things like that you know i want to put in this piece of music for you and uh i want you to this is a, this is a howard scott solo i want to see if you can nail this tune all right Do you recognize that tune, Vibita? What is that? Is that, a, is, that a, is that a Swahili name?
2: No, it's just, um, that came from Mr. Lee Oscar. There, now he'll tell you the story about Vibika. Was Vibika oh, was some girl back there in Denmark that uh, uh, I think you know she was a hooker, street hooker, or something that was killed and something. So, you, I see you like that first War album.
1: I mean, I just think that it's like, I think it gets overlooked all the time. You know, I just think
2: it's... I, I, there's a song on there called Sun, O' Sun. I
1: love it so much.
2: Yeah, I wrote that song, Sun, O' Sun, and that was back in uh, uh, the sun blows my mind, keeps my tonsils dry. I was doing my poetry days, my revolutionary days, and I just got out of the military and I think we just left Eric Burden. And, and United Artists needed a a, a a song from war, which we weren't, we weren't really equipped to do, so some of those songs that came up on the war, our first war album were songs left over from the creators but Bibica, that song right there, but it was on the first war album very you say overlooked, nobody even knows that song right there because it was buried in that first war album even if you got the first war album, you'd have to dig deep.
1: Define the song Vibica. The reason I love it is because uh, you guys are just channeling this. um, Your roots is so hard. It's the most authentic album. I just wonder also after that, you had these like titanic hits. Every album after that was just monstrous pop radio hits. And I have to believe that you guys, being as Lee Oscar said, you guys were not uh, cookie cutter guys. You weren't uh, tr- you were trying to make hits, right? I mean, those things. Well,
2: just... I, I'll tell you, I, I, when we did that first war album, uh, I had a song. I had a song called uh, "Slipping in the Darkness."
1: I love it, man. I, all, that, I, these are the, you wrote the lyrics too to these.
2: I, I, see, I, I wrote the lyrics to "Slipping in the Darkness."
1: Oh, when, when
2: when we were with uh, 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 Eric Burton and I took the song "Slipping in the Darkness" before we left uh, Eric Burton. And, and did a war. I took the song "Slipping in the Darkness," and I took it to Eric, and we were in England, and and I played it for him. He didn't like it, so I took "Slipping in the Darkness" and buried it, you know. So when we did the first War album, you know, we weren't ready for "Slipping in the Darkness" and forgot about that song. But we did "Slipping in the Darkness" later on. That broke. That broke. War. Can you hold the phone for
1: a second, please? Yeah, please. Talking to a legendary cat here, Howard Scott here on the Jake Feinberg Show live on Power Talk. Uh, we got a big show coming up today, but he's already dropping knowledge. He's been talking about channeling Coltrane and the uh, the jazz, uh, the transcendent jazz, and left people in the dark. But uh, also the idea of ultimately trying to, you know, are you back with us, brother?
2: I am back with you. We got a house full of cute kids here, man. No, no, yeah. I was
1: gonna say I was gonna say that that. I want you, this is so important because that first War album is my, my favorite album, but then why can't, you know, why can't we be friends, Lowrider, Get Down? I mean, all these are the funky, those were the hits. Every, and, and, but well, were you trying to make hits? No.
2: Not, look, I didn't know what a hit record was. All I knew was that when we, when we left Eric Burden, And you know, like we was, we were like this band that was supposed to like, you know, crack it right from the beginning. We did this, the first War album, Fidel's Fantasy, Son of Sun, Vibica, Wow, that's a love will do. Lost my soul in '68, where were you? That was heavy duty music right there, but it flew over the top of mainstream, and people said, well, you guys right here. You know, you guys are supposed to come up and be this, this band that did all this stuff. And and, and the first war album, as you, you say, did not really hit that mark. People just like overlooked it. So we came back with Slipping in the Darkness. Slipping in the Darkness broke the band war. And I didn't know whether it was a hit or not. I tell you, because I didn't, I didn't know it was a hit, because my, my thought was I wrote Slippin' in the Darkness and the song Nappy Head. Right. I thought "Nappy Head" should be the single. You
0: yeah. know, this
2: is my thinking, you know. So, my, Steve Gold, our manager at the time, he took, he took, I guess he he made the right call. He took uh, "Slipping in the Darkness" and ran with it, and that broke the band war.
1: Can you talk about um, for cats that were not on this earth? Uh, Indugu Chancellor, uh, uh, the great drummer. He he was from. Uh, Louisiana and his family was French Creole and his dad had a business and uh because he was a successful independent black business owner he was run out of town and they moved <laughs> it, and they moved out to uh California um and so you know I wanted you to talk about leaving the army this revolutionary poetry who were who were some of the people that I mean were you were you channeling uh I want to know who some of the people you were looking up to and Also, some of the, like, sun oh sun. I mean, can you talk about what was driving you, what was burning inside of you uh, that that put you in this sort of, I would call it almost a trance, where you were writing these lyrics that was exactly what your life was about?
2: I, I, I was listening to guys like Coltrane, Archie Shep. I love it. The Beatles, I was getting harmonies from the Beach Boys. I loved the harmonies. But Coltrane, Archie Shepp, and I got out, and the Black Panther movement was like, you know, for going strong, power to the people. Black is beautiful. And this whole movement was out there. The United States was going through this whole transitional thing of revolution. And Sun on Sun was my revolutionary song. It was like, if you listen to the words, Sun blows my mind, keeps my tongue to so dry. Bullets my cradle. And I heard my babies cry. Oh, son, oh, son. There was a son in the sky, son in my heart. You know, son, oh, son. I believed in you, the whole universe. You know, that, that was a, that was my whole writing and thinking at the time, right there. Son, oh, son. I, I thought son, oh, son was like this great song, which it was. And I got BB Dickerson to sing it.
1: I was gonna say. I mean, this is like were you were you playing Black Panther rallies like with uh, uh, Huey Lewis and those cats? I mean, were you were you mixing it up? With them? Uh,
2: Lee Oscar was up there with those cats I was in SoCal and I didn't I really, I didn't have time To do that But, uh, you know, I was I was was feeling that, I was just Moving in that direction because the country was moving in that direction And I was there, I was there Mentally
1: Where do you, like, uh, when you look at it Today, uh, I talked To uh, Richard Davis, the great Bass player, um, and you know This is a guy who we, we couldn't get a, a classical bass gig, even though he was you know, by far the best bass player because he was black, and his, he maintains that we could go through the civil rights movement again today. What Ndugu told me was that the Watts riots were, were a demoralizing uh, event for the black community in a lot of ways, and I just wonder, you look at where we're at today, some of the issues we're struggling with today uh, we're in some ways more multicultural today than we 've ever been, and it seems like we're fighting the original sin of our country, which is slavery and I just yeah. kind of wanted you to talk about in from your point of view not there's no right or wrong answer, but have we evolved you had momentum at that in that early seventies period you had a lot of momentum
3: yeah, we all did
1: have we you know and there were pe- but now i just I just wonder have we have we are we treading water? Are we just stuck in place? Are we regressing? What do you what does Howard Scott say as far as humanity? I
2: I I I look back in when 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 you're talking about those days I you had people the outstanding spokesman, leadership like Huey Lewis, Eldridge Cleaver, you had people from uh, uh Martin Luther King, you had Malcolm X, you had people that were standing up making statements like uh, uh they were making statements about what, what what the world was like, what conditions were like. And big followers behind it. We had a big movement. And the whole movement was like on fire. And um, we were a part of that right there, man. You know, we put out a song called uh, 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 Get Down.
1: Oh, my God. In my, You know, the, the, that those lyrics, uh, the president ain't real. I mean, dude, the, those lyrics are are so perfect for today's times that we're living through, man.
2: Let me tell you a line that we, we stopped doing. The police and they justice. Right. Are laughing while they bust us. They got to get down. They got to get down. Every time we would do this, even even when we first put it out, we we put, we put it out in a, a, a song. We played it in Memphis, Tennessee. And before we went on stage, the chief of police came up and said, son, if you play the Get Down song, you're going to need these two things. You're going to need a bell bond. And give me his card for bail bond. And another card for the hospital it said, if you play that song, you're going to need both these cards. So I said, oh, shit, I'm not playing Get Down Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I thought you were going to say that you're like, okay, well, let's play it. For, first song, we'll play it.
2: <laughs> no, 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 but we, we played it. You did? Yeah, we played it. But instead of doing the words in English, Papa D came up and did the words, I think in German, some kind of East Coast shit he was talking about. <laughs> and 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 they were sitting back there listening he was we were doing the whole same song but the, and I think he did it in German and psh, walked away with it but we didn't stop us from doing that you know we, we were just like saying, you got to get down there like if you run in the country and you ain't running a funky you know the police and the justice that was our that was another revolution so we're always on the cutting edge
1: going back to just if, where are we at today? I mean, have we have we are we regress? Where do you think we're at right now? Truthfully,
2: uh, I think we're we we're, we're, we're going backwards. Yep. You know, because anytime uh, a, a black person or a brown person can't have uh, equal rights in this beautiful country that we have, which is one of the greatest on earth, but I think what keeps the United States of America from being truly truly the greatest country on earth. Is the way it treats its citizens and it treats its minority citizens uh maybe worse than, than other countries you know, so in this country here, granted you know we're five hundred years old, but the people that sit out there even even uh sit out there and did the marches and stuff, and we 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 got a certain point in history. well, why do we have to always come to get to this certain point in history and somebody says we're going to take it away from you voting rights should be a right for every person in this country. And we still haven't evolved to the part of getting voting rights. You know, we still got this thing about uh, uh, superiority and racism and stuff. That just like we can't get over that, those stigmas right there that makes this country great. No, we haven't regressed. We, actually, we are regressing. We're coming further and further back. And I don't know the powers that be, the people who think that they're running stuff. They must not be visionary people because they're running the country backwards.
1: Um. When was the first time that you uh you went to congo square
2: oh i i i would go to congo square and, and just sit around there and just trip on things and we played there a couple of times but it uh, this back in i think uh uh the, the i think the early eighties late seventies early eighties
1: i mean that to me was uh, a situation where they would i mean just to think about. The Europeans that were educated, basically brainwashing the Europeans that came over here and saying, hey, we'll give you these uh, not humans, not animals, but just sort of these subhumans for slaves. And then we'll let them get this stuff off their chest and let them play. And to know to know the history of the drum uh, to St. Lovature overthrew the, the, the the French could not penetrate Haiti because of the drum. The first chapter. Yeah. I mean th- this to me is like It all goes back to this original sin This myth of white supremacy And it's really You know uh, To me it's a vexing situation And I've done three interviews with M. Tume, The percussionist and he's like you know the difference now You can have stuff on film You can have a black guy Murdered on videotape And, 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 and it's still not Justice will not be served Maybe the police officer will be fired but he's not going to. He's not going to go to. He's not going to be convicted. Or, he's not going to be convicted, you know. And there's just something. There's a tripwire there, and it seemed to me like you guys were, you definitely weren't killing each other. I mean, the 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 the, the Latinos and, and you guys were, were were blending your musics. I mean, the hood was not, you know, the hood was not the hood that we know today.
2: Well, I, I think that you know, even as as we are today, if you keep people so to say, at the, at the bottom of, of the, the whole political spectrum, like fighting each other, squabbling with each other, you know, not in tune with each other, then you can could, you could pull off the biggest scams that you want to pull off because people are not paying attention. So right now uh, I, I would say that where we are today and what we're doing today, and like, you have to ask you a question. Now you're talking about uh, Ndugu.
1: Yeah.
2: Is she still with us?
1: Yeah, man, I just had, a, I did a Facebook live interview with him. I'll, I'll give you his number, dude. He's still rocking out. He's at USC, and he's having a really hard time at the university because so many cats that are coming over for the jazz program are international students, and we're having immigration problems. But, yeah, he's still with us. He's still very doing, he's doing great.
2: Yeah, I, I know, man, that Dougal came up, you know, like crossing Pass back in Los Angeles, and it would be very interesting. You know, I would love to sit back and holler at him.
1: Oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hook you up immediately. In fact, he... he he told me that he played drums with Ot- i mean with johnny otis in the band back in the day i mean this is what i'm saying it was this huge i'll give you his number immediately but yeah it, yeah, yeah you
2: give it to me. you could te- I'll, I'll get you i'll get you on another line so yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. you know but you we,
2: could you could text it to me
1: i mean this uh i just this is a this tune is the legendary howard scott it's such a great hang um let's just take a listen to the lyrics of this tune i think it's dickerson on vocals but uh we'll find out could listen to that all day long man unbelievable
2: oh, but yeah. listen going back to the beginning we have the answers with son of son my i wrote that song i put the words in there because this way i was looking at things in those days but the, i'll leave i'll leave the interpretation of that to anybody that's listening to it for them to get their own words their own thoughts of what that song means to them
1: much of the, th- how much of that was built on War's music, just the idea that you, you knew what you, was going on in your head, but you were completely okay with the idea of whatever people wanted to make up their minds about how it, how it impacted their own lives? I mean, with all the music you made, I mean, I, I, some of the stuff is just, is just, you know, it's so spot on, and there's some sort of, you know, sort of visionary, karmic thing going on, I actually actually have to believe that some kind of uh, psychedelic use was going on at that time as well.
2: <laughs> no, well, I, I I never did a psychedelic trip. I, I, for, for me, I wouldn't be able to write doing psychedelics. Yeah. I think you know I, I wouldn't be able to control it. No, it I wasn't that. Uh. It was just you know maybe I just have a psychedelic mind. But...
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you do, man. I think you have. A big... <laughs> yeah,
2: but the, but just just uh, sun or sound was like you know. It, it, it's, you gotta believe that that was like you know when when I'm looking at the uh, whole world situation, sun or sun plays into that. And when it' slipping into darkness, uh, people get slipping into the darkness. They, they get their own interpretation of what slipping into darkness means, which is better because it puts you into the song that you imagine. Yourself being a partner, so Cisco Kid was a friend of mine. That that would always be two guys who sit back and say, "Okay, me and this guy did this. This is my best friend, Cisco and Pancho. They did whatever they did in life. You know, you, you always had somebody, your your best homeboy, your friend. You went through changes, to get grew up together, and um, this was a Me and baby brother. That was a, a tribute to a guy that." Uh, that I they, they grew up with and went to Vietnam, and, and he didn't come back. He died in Vietnam. His name was Philip Lamar. And uh, people would always give me a baby brother, but this is me and my baby brother, you know. Just the whole thing of, of the lyrics put people into the song, and they could imagine themselves being a part of the
0: song.
1: Can I get, uh, from your psychedelic mind, uh, they, I always love talking to the older cats because when I see younger cats on the bandstand, they're so insecure about where the one is. And uh, where's the one? Where's the one? And I remember a story about James Jamieson getting upset because someone was hemming and hawing about where's the one? Where's the one? And he said, any note can be the one. And I want you to talk about the Howard Scott concept when you're in a group that has a lot of trust and you leave the head of the tune and you go off slipping into darkness, the live war album. That's like a 17, 20 minute track. When, oh boy. You, when you go off, into an improvisational jam and you lose the one, how, when you come back, your concept of any note, any note can be the one. What's the Howard Scott concept on that?
2: The one is the root, the one is home, the one is what's gonna bring everybody together as one. It means exactly what it is, one, the beginning. And, and if you lose the one, you go on the two and the four, you're out there traveling. Now, well, Cold Train would take you there, but you still had that root note that would bring you back. So you we were able to, like, travel within this whole realm of music, but you were able to come back to number one, the root note, the beat, the heartbeat, which was, which was everything in the, in the song.
1: Was was it was, uh, like someone like McCoy Tyner keeping the, keeping the one with, with Train? I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how you, you understood it.
2: Yeah, they would take that, they would take that, they would They would leave the one and go out to the Second that they'd leave the one, but you, it would always be there in the music that they could come back to. Somebody had to keep the one going. It would be the drummer. And wait a minute, the Elvin, who was, who was the drummer with uh, Coltrane? Yeah, Elvin, El- Elvin Jones? Yeah,
1: did you see Elvin play?
2: No, 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 never, man. But I just, I admired these guys, you know. Coltrane and then and, and McCoy Tyner, oh, with a great, this. my, McCoy Tyner was one of the greatest pianists ever, but I think uh, uh, my favorite was the, the pianist that played with uh, Charles Lloyd. He was- uh, uh, um, Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett played a, 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 a piano solo, which is to me the all time best jazz keyboard solos was on that song he did with uh, 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 Charles Lloyd, the first Charles Lloyd album, Forest Flower.
1: For, so is the title track? That,
2: yeah! Wow! He did Flower," but he played he played a, a, a piano solo on "Forest Flower." My opinion: this 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 cat right here, man he 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 went to space and didn't come back and left it out for everybody else to catch up. <laughs> <out.
1: laughs> I think Rasan Roland Kirk was doing that too. But I, you, well,
2: yeah, Rasan. When we got with Eric Burton and we, if you remember Eric Burton he did a song called uh, "Rasan." You're right. You're right. We did a song about Ross on Roland Kirk. He admired Roland Kirk. And you know, when this Roland Kirk would come up playing like three saxophones in his mouth at the same time.
1: Dude, he was like, he had whistles and like, I mean, it was just insanity. But um, another cat that uh, you might have crossed paths with was the legendary keyboardist Clarence McDonald. Great studio musician down in in Southern California. And he, he told me this story about when he served in, in Vietnam. He said... Um, We were stationed in Chu Chi, which is about 60 miles from Saigon. We were getting we were getting killed every night. and We couldn't figure out why one night we shot some Viet Cong and they weren't dead, but they were crawling. We said, hey, don't kill them. Let's go see where they're where they're trying to get to because they're all headed the same way as it (coughs) turned out our base camp at a cemetery. Their base camp was directly under ours. All the headstones in that cemetery moved. They'd come up at night, throw charges, and kill up a bunch of us, and go disappear. Their base camp uh-huh. had hospitals, schools, everything, and it was directly under ours. And I just wasn't. Uh-huh. Did you did you serve in Vietnam? No, I, my Vietnam
2: story was so not Vietnam. I was my my orders were cut for uh, Southeast Asia. I was going with the first calf when I was in, in, in basic training. My orders cut for base up for the first calf. So I said, if I'm going to Vietnam with the first cab, and the first cab was getting their asses kicked over there, I said, I'm going with the Airborne. So I wanted to go to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I was going with the 101st Airborne, and I volunteered for for Airborne.
0: <laughs>
2: wow. Yeah, knowing I'm scared of heights. So I went for the Airborne. You know, yeah, I'm going to Vietnam. So while I'm waiting for my orders to come to go to uh, 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 jump school, they needed, like, 10 guys from the United States to go to, to, to Europe. And I'm waiting, and the guy said, Scott, Would you like to go to Europe? And here I am, got Vietnam right in my face. He said, I said, what? He said, if you've been ready to go to Vietnam, you've got to be ready in like an hour. I was ready in 10 minutes. And they they put me on a plane, and I ended up in Coburg, in in Bamberg, Germany, for for 18 months, which was a blessing. So I have to attribute that to my mother. Because my mother prayed me out of Vietnam Because I don't know if I, I would, I, That would have been an experience That I probably would still carry with me But I still carry that with me Because all the people that were I know that went there and didn't come back
1: Yeah, well that's why I And and I'm, it, did you have a, a You must have been playing some burning music Over in Germany That was a hotbed of activity over there
2: Oh man, I was playing I looked, You know, you, you, you're, t- you're going to different places and stuff But back before in the creators days I played with the drifters yeah and the drifters came through town and 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 they needed guitars and, and so when I came back to Southern California, they called me and they sent for me and uh um to come to play the first gig with it was in Denver, Colorado, so I loaded up my gear and I went to Denver, Colorado, but I created just just me, and I went on tour with Je- the, gener- the the drifters little Milton and Jackie Ross. We toured the United States, and we got back to Los Angeles Played a club called the 5-4 Ballroom. Uh, I said, look, Dad, I said, I had enough of this right here. I said, I don't want to play with the Drifters anymore. I said, well, son, you, really, you know, so they were going up to Seattle. So I was glad to get back to L.A., and I jumped off ship. I said, listen, I'm, I'm, I can't play this anymore. So they said, okay, cool. They didn't pay me.
1: They, they, they didn't pay me. They didn't pay you.
2: They didn't pay me. They just pissed off at me because they wouldn't finish the tour. So they sent me to Germany. I'm sitting in Bamberg, Germany. Who comes to town but the Drifters? <laughs> and who needed a guitar player but the Drifters? And who was sitting there waiting for them, not knowing that they needed me to play? And I came up and said, hey, guys, what's going on? How would blah, 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 blah? I wanted to play this whole set. Everybody was just like floored to see me up on stage with the Drifters. Right? After that, they gave me $900.
1: That is and, so great. So they gave you man, interest on the, on the, when they,
2: man, yeah. they pay me for a whole tour and then they paid me. That was almost that, time, that was so much money at that time back in the sixties. It was almost like 10 grand or something, man. And man, I was, plus I had to respect everybody in the, for both sides of the U S army. It says, Hey, I was going to do it. I played with them. They went on about their business, man, but they paid me.
1: Um, my gosh, that is so heavy. That is one of the great. You know, I just before we're just wrapping up set one here, my man. I, I we have more to get to, but I I, I also want to know: Do you, are you connected? Because he's right. He's right. He lives right in your hometown. Is Chuck Rainey? Do you do you know do you guys connect?
2: Oh, uh, I just got the book from Chuck Rainey uh, uh, two weeks ago. Some cats that gave me his book. They wanted me to play. They wanted him and me to meet on stage out in Fort Worth. And I said, no, I don't want him to play on this set right here because Chuck Rainey's like this type of bass player. And gigs I was playing like a charity event. I said, no, but no, I haven't met with him. But I know uh, we we uh, cross paths with this book. I got, as a matter of fact, I got the book that just was given to me last week by Chuck Rainey.
1: I mean, he you mean a book of tunes or what, what do you mean?
2: No, no, no. I was just, it was a book. Uh, and I actually—I I, I, mean—we got to put just guy, Chuck Randy, who lives up in Richmond Hills, which is probably about maybe thirty minutes from where I am right now.
1: Yeah, I w- I'm I'm kind of apt to put you two together and just play some guitar and bass. I mean, I, that would be fantastic. But I, I, can you just tell me, was I mean, was Deacon Jones a train wreck on the bandstand, or was he actually a talented cat?
2: Yeah, well, Deacon Jones was a football player. I have to give you that, and. <laughs> We 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 played behind. You remember a guy by the name of uh, um, what was this dude's name? Sonny Charles that did a letter to Maria.
1: I just interviewed Sonny. He's in Vegas too. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Get out of here. Well, we we played with him. I'm gonna get you, Sonny. I'm gonna
1: reconnect you with Sonny too.
2: Okay. Well, let me let me go back to the story. We played with Sonny Charles. Uh, what, what, what was his name? What was his the name he go by now?
1: No, it's the, he's the, he was with the Checkmates, right? He was the Checkmates. He's Sonny Charles. No, 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 no,
2: no, no, no. The Letter to Maria. Was he at Checkmates? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we played, we, we played with him, and we did Letter to Maria. Before, before he put out, you know, we, when we did Letter to Maria, that took him out of the band we were playing with, and Deacon Jones came in right after him. So, so when Deacon came in, a guy by the name of Freeman King, who was a Sonny and Sonny and Share and um, the Unknown Comic, they had a routine together, and Freeman put us with uh, uh, Deacon Jones, and they wrote a song for Deacon Jones called Loving a Pro. And we played behind Deacon Jones, and Deacon Jones was, you know, he was Deacon was like all the rest of those cats that came out of football, like Rosie Greer and Jim Brown. and uh, All those guys came out of football. Uh, they, they wanted to, to transition their whole career from football to music, and Deacon was one of them. And he was a very very good guy, man. But you know, he wasn't such a great entertainer that you know we could we could say that we were gonna like you know be able to like further our careers by being with Deacon Jones. So,
1: The night shift, right? I mean, that that band is there any? Yeah, music-
2: that was the night shift.
1: Do you have any recorded music from the night shift? Is that out any of that? No,
2: uh, but the night shift was. We, as a matter of fact, when we were in the night shift, we had a a four four piece horn section behind Deacon Jones. Oh, my four God. pieces. And when when Eric Burton came in, he kept Charles Miller, and the rest of those horn guys had to go. Was he was like, oh no, don't fire them. But he, <laughs> Eric Eric had this vision of like putting uh, um, saxophone and harmonica together to play horn lines. Wow! So uh, wow. yeah, yeah, which 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 was unheard of, but still today we use that combination.
1: The um... This is insane. Uh, so, so you would um, ultimately, though, uh, was was uh, Blues Image supposed to be the backup band? But then they got signed by Atco. Is that
2: well? They so what they had they were the backup band for Eric Burton. Right. Eric, but when they did that song for for whatever something, what, what song did they have? Not, the, uh, ride, ride,
1: ride, Captain, ride.
2: Right. Yeah. When they did Ride, Captain, ride, they said, "Well, Eric Burton, you got to go because <laughs> you know this. We're taking a whole tri- a trip together." So. Uh, that's when they did that, and Eric needed the band, and and then that's how we got to be with Eric Burton.
1: I just want to be. Cl- I want to make sure that we're chronologically. So R. B. Greaves wrote the original tune. To yeah, take a letter. But then Sonny Charles. No, it was,
2: yeah, no, it was R. B. Greaves first. That R. B. Greaves, and was Sonny Charles.
1: Sonny Charles and the Checkmates, Black Pearl. They did a, 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 a no, no.
2: They did no Sonny Childs. not Sonny Charles.
1: Childs.
2: Sonny Childs. He was he was R. B. Greaves.
1: He was R.B. Well, it was B. Sonny
2: Green. Childs or R.B. Either one. So, I, I don't know it was Sonny Childs first or R.B. Greaves first. I think R.B. Greaves did Let It To Maria, right? That's,
1: that's exactly right. That's ex- Okay, that-
2: well, when he, was with, when he was with us, he was Sonny Childs.
1: How do you spell it? Childs was C-H-I-L-E-S?
2: C-H-I-L-D-E-S, something like that. Yeah. You know, he was, ooh, strange
1: guy. <laughs> you know, I look at this tune here, and I say to myself, uh, it's – Black Man's burden, one of the most i don't one of the most incredible double albums, and there's a tune they can't take away our music yeah, they can't take away our music they can take away everything else they could take away your away your freedom your dignity I mean is that what th- that was getting at? They can't take is away it? our music
2: are you going to play that right now Oh, go ahead.
0: And as in the past when times were wrong, the common folks come together in song. How will we win?
2: With what will we fight? We hope with this song, our world we will unite.
0: Oh, there's one thing.
1: power talk live here with uh, a legend guitarist Howard Scott <laughs> you know um before before I let you go and I I I really appreciate you taking the time man I I just would love you to talk about your relationship with um Jimi Hendrix and oh, ultimately no. um the fact that you were with him before the, the night before he passed he was on on the bandstand with you guys
2: I, I, I truly miss Jimmy, and, and my relationship was just truly but state of respect. When I met, first met Jimmy, we were in uh, Los Angeles together at a bungalow, and uh, we were at this party together, and we were talking, and I, I saw Jimmy sitting at his chair, which he was sitting in, in like a, re, a regal situation. He had about five or six women sitting around him, and you know he was just sitting there being Jimmy Hendrix. And... Um, me and him started talking and it was like we beamed in on each other and we got the relationship from the beginning a spiritual relationship and every time i saw jimmy since then he he would acknowledge me and i would acknowledge him so when we played ronnie scott's and jimmy came in he came in two nights in a row first night he came in he, he wasn't able to play but the second and uh I saw him coming down the, uh, from the from, from the audience that Stratton the club is packed, great, greatest audience ever. He came in with a Stratton. and I had and I had my Gibson we plugged into an orange amplifier, so I grabbed my guitar and pulled it out. I'm getting ready to bail. And he says he said, Howard, stay. No. Stay with me, stay with me. So I say, Okay. And here, I'm playing, you know, I know Jimmy man, but he's this is the greatest guitar player ever. And I'm gonna be
1: playing with him. Huh? <laughs> So you, had, you, so you 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 guys did the the first night did you play together or this, this was only no. the second night you played together?
2: Second night he wasn't able to play the first night he wasn't he didn't have his guitar with right, him and right. he wasn't able to play. Okay. Second night he came ready he came loaded for bear because he'd well, he studied our set and he was ready. And like I said, I I took that guitar and I was ready to leave. He told me say, so "How it stay?" So I said, "Okay, quite great, great, I'll stay." So he was up there playing. We went. Uh, uh, um, Tobacco Road and all that stuff we played with Eric Brindley played with. It. And then when we got to Mother Earth, the blues thing, he 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 got into this incredible blues guitar solo. And if you ever listen to that, the, the, the him playing that solo on Mother Earth, you could hear him, his exit, you could hear him, like, you know, transitioning and saying, this is my final uh, place on the earth. That's my interpretation, because I, I read it that way. And then I got my courage up, and I, me and him was trading licks. Well, here, I'm trading licks with Jimmy. I said, whoa, who am I? And I did that stuff, and we had a great time that night, man. We were all, you know, high-fiving each other afterwards. And I, I remember walking from Ronnie Scott's. So over was such a high place, that I walked home to the hotel in the rain, you know, just like just, didn't feel the rain It was so great. Next night he was supposed to come back, and, and he didn't come back that night. And I think the next night that he passed away, he died that night. And when he passed away, my tour manager brought Jimmy Strat. And put it in my hotel room I'd Ask me why I don't know So Jimmy Strat was. I, had a, I was in Holiday Inn In London And It had a double beds Two beds in it I was in one bed And Jimmy Strat Was in the other And, and I Did that guitar I never touched it well, I was we're, in my room For two days
1: So Just to be clear um, That was the first time You guys actually Ever shared the bandstand together
2: yeah, yeah What a beautiful yeah.
1: Alright You know what man can we do part two in the next couple of weeks or something like that? I'd love to do part sure, two. I mean,
2: you know I'll 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 be more than happy to do it with you. just give me a heads up. I I just came from uh, um doing a gig up in Seattle with the Lowrider band, which is like, you know, the heart and soul of that band called War. Oh.
1: I need I need to talk uh, to all those cats, man.
2: Yeah, well you had Lee Oscar on and, and and um but uh yeah, I'll I'll be more than happy to do that with you. Just you know, this is a pleasure doing this this segment with you uh, guys. Took me back, but that that song what we just got through playing, uh, They Can't Take Wild Music.
0: Yeah.
2: A uh, very, very revolutionary song from Eric Burton. People need to, you know, I think in today's climate, people need to listen to the lyrics of some of these songs if they could just, like, slow down and and listen to some of the things we did with War. And one more thing about War War was one of the most underrated bands as far as music goes. It made such an influence on other bands that, that, uh, What's going on today? Because you can listen to some of the songs the war did, and you say, Oh, this is the first time I heard it. The song's been around forever. But the first time you heard it, it, it makes an impact on people. And we, we, that was just the way No War was. We were a rev, revolutionary band. But that kind of music that's still uh, good today.
1: Howard Scott, I love you, man. We just cooked for uh, about ninety no uh yeah uh ninety six minutes uh so we'll, we'll we'll uh we and I yeah, that's the show, man, so I hope you got inspired, and uh I'll get you a copy of this later, and I also' if you, what you would, yeah, oh absolutely, and then also, if you uh just let me know how you want. I can shoot you in Dugu's uh, uh, if you have an email, or I can just give you a private message with his phone number. You should why,
2: why don't you call me back on that other line that you called me on, and then we can talk on that? Okay, my cell phone. All
1: right. I'll, yeah, I'm. I'm. Like, I got two more interviews, so I'll give you. I'll give you a holler a little bit later, and we'll, we'll figure yeah, it out.
2: Give me a, Yeah. You just just take care of yourself. You can give me a call when you get back, or you could text me his number on that other line.
1: Yeah, definitely call him, man. He's around and he's he's doing his thing.
2: I'll call
1: him. All right, Howard. Be good, man. All right, take care. Later on. Now. Bye bye. Bye. Incredible, incredible musician and uh, a definitely a, a better human being, uh, Howard Scott. We'll be back with Justin Mazer on the other side of the break. Right after this.